Welcome to a Heritage Christian Centre podcast. For more information, visit www.heritagecc.com.au. We hope this message blesses your life. So I do want to make a disclaimer before we start. Um, Because I, I just think some people struggle when they hear the Word of God preached in a way that they're not used to. So welcome to our Jinjin Church family um, and others who are watching online. And some of you may not have heard Pastor Shane before. So um, let me challenge us before I introduce him. And most of you know me, I've been here in this city, in this church for 26 years. And I've been in ministry for 48 years and 38 of those full time. Can I just say that doesn't make me right? Doesn't. I'm just aware that we have to grow, but we've developed an amazing friendship with a man who shares the Word of God. I've not heard anyone do it like that before. We've had that friendship for 16 years. Sometimes the things he's shared has challenged me and I do want to keep growing in my faith in God. Sometimes his views strengthen my current views. Other times they challenge them. That helps me keep growing. You know, Paul challenged Timothy in 2 Timothy to be sure he lived. Listen, he lived approved by God. And he did that by being an unashamed worker who accurately handled and skillfully taught the Word of Truth. The ERV says it this way, one who applies the true teaching in the right way. And then Luke tells us in Acts about the Berean Christians who were more fair-minded and noble willing to listen to new thoughts about God that they were hearing. Much of what Shane shares will be encouraging, some probably challenging. And if we're going to be like the Bereans and like Paul directed Timothy, then we will need to listen intently, even if it might be a little bit different to our current fixed opinions about God, Jesus and the Bible. So I encourage you and challenge you to listen and me to listen to the Holy Spirit and let the revelation of a good, loving God that we call our Lord and Saviour come upon your lives. On that note, it is with great joy that I again ask our friend and my friend to come and share with us the Word of God that laid on his heart. I'm sure it'll inspire, be more Christ-like in our everyday living. Would you welcome Pastor Shane Willard as he comes this morning. All right. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's so good to be here with you. If you're type like following the actual Bible, Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to get to that in just a second. Um, let, me, uh, let me not be rude to our family um, in Jin Jin and people watching online. I want to address them. Um, hi, I'm Shane, and I'm part of the Heritage family, and I'm so glad to be a part of your life today. Um, my job today is to open the Bible, and, and I take that really seriously. And anytime you do that, um, you have to ask two questions. One, what happened? And two, more importantly, what's happening in me right now because of what happened? And so when we do that, we want Jesus to get bigger, the cross to work better, the resurrection to be central, and scriptures to get bigger, not smaller. I, I hope that's your experience there in Jin Jin and Childers and whoever might be a part of our Heritage family today watching online. It's a true honor for the opportunity to share the Scripture with you today, wherever you might be watching this. And I hope that's your experience wherever you are. And of course, everybody here um, live. It's, it's so good to be here with you. A, cu- a couple things before we get started. Uh, 
first, uh, during your third part of your service, which is the tea and coffee and, and, and you know, little snacks and whatever you guys do out there, uh, fellowship time, um, I, I'm going to be out in the foyer with a resource table. Um, my resource table is in USBs, audio, and video. Um, we give 100% of our profit from that away to the poor and the afflicted. We have three orphanages in China that look after children with mental disabilities. We also have a rescue home in Cape Town that gets girls out of sex trafficking. But we don't just do that. We get them off drugs, high school educated, and job trained so we can do our part to break the cycle of poverty in the Cape Flats. We live with the conviction that it is not appropriate to tell prostitutes, stop prostituting. It's wrong. Does it work well for you or the other person, right? Unless we're going to give people viable options for which they can feed their family, it does no good to just do these moral platitudes, right? And so that's what we're trying to do out there. Now, since last time I was here, we've got some brand new stuff. I did an 11-part series on sex and sexuality. Um, I did a six-hour short course on um, how to approach the scripture in a more meaningful way. Uh, We also finished our Revelation series by going through the letters to the seven churches and uh, telling the histories underneath all that. It's a very entertaining sort of way to look at the book of Revelation. if you're interested in things like that, it's out there. There's also lots of other stuff. You could come say hello. The only thing I would ask is that if you don't want anything, God bless you. I'll see you next time I'm through. If you do want something, would you come there before you go there, right? The reason, uh, reason is I, that'll leave, keep me from having to stand there for an hour, okay? So if you could go there before you go there, that'd be brilliant. Um, one other thing before we get started, I want to give you a special invitation back to tonight. Um, I would never, ever... Um, say this if it was going to be a waste of your time, okay? I don't say God says stuff. I just, I don't feel right about using that language. I'm not mad at people who do, but you will never ever hear me say God told me or God said. I just, I just don't do that. But I will say that what I have tonight is I have a deep inner knowing that this is a prophetic word for where the church must go from here. So the, the, the top five question I'm being asked around the world is, where does the church go from here? Like, what's going on? And so tonight, I want to address that, and I promise you it'll change your life. Um, if you give us an hour tonight, um, it, it, I'm not going to talk for an hour. It's probably a, a 35, 40-minute message, but you give us an hour tonight, um, I promise you to change your life. If, if it doesn't, if it doesn't, I'll personally, out of my own pocket, I'll refund whatever the ticket costs for you to come, okay? So whatever they charge for you to come on Sunday night, whatever that is, I'll pay you back, all right? So it's a real stress-free uh, sort of situation. So come on, come on back tonight. I've got something really, really special to share. Now, this morning, I want to talk to you about Jesus, and um, because that's something that should unite us. I, I, I want to set this up. This is sort of a part two from last night. Don't panic. You didn't have to be here last night to understand today. They're mutually exclusive. But last night, we talked about restoring the beauty of the word Christian. Evidently, uh, less people in Australia are identifying as Christians than ever before. And this surprised some people. It didn't surprise me at all because all you have to do to take something that's beautiful, like the word Christian, and make it toxic is attach toxic images to it, right? And so Christian, the word Christian is one of these things that almost doesn't mean anything anymore. Like, like, if, I, like if, if somebody that doesn't know me asks me if I'm a Christian, I just always respond this way. I say, I don't know. I have no idea if I'm a Christian because I don't know what you think a Christian is. And if I just say yes to that, then I'm acquiescing to what you think a Christian is. So I always say it this way. Why don't you tell me what a Christian is and I'll tell you if I'm that. And then it starts a a, a discussion. And so we talked about what Christianity was not. Christianity is not being climate experts. It's not ranting on the internet about climate when you don't know nothing about climate. 
It, it, it's not Christianity. It's not being health experts. If you're here today and you're a doctor, you are a health expert, right? Just because your cousin Earl, who failed 10th grade science, happens to be a Christian, that doesn't make him a health expert. And him ranting on the internet about things he doesn't understand in the name of Christianity does not help Christianity. It does not help us at all. Christians aren't theology experts. Christianity is not about getting the Bible right. Christianity is about getting Jesus right. It's not about getting individual verses in the scripture, right? It's about applying the scripture how Jesus applied scripture. Christians are not sex experts, obviously. Christians are not political experts, obviously. Christians aren't supposed to be that. Christians are supposed to be people who see the world how Jesus saw the world, see God how Jesus saw God, and apply scripture how Jesus applied scripture. And in Jewish culture, there's one word that encapsulates those three things. And that word is yoke. So I want to talk to you about yokes. I want to talk to you about a certain person's way of living. Because here's the thing. And I thought this as soon as they sang that first song, right? That first song, I'm not a musician, so I'm not going to sing, but it said something like, we lift your name up, you know, in all my ways, in all my days, I want to lift you up, right? And, and so here's my question. Is lifting the name of Jesus up, which I think we're all for, right? Is lifting the name of Jesus up a function of announcing what we believe, or is it more a function of demonstrating how we live? In the Roman Empire, when the church was growing, no one ever said, hear, hear what they believe. They always said, look, look at how they live. I would say that lifting the name of Jesus up is more a matter of a demonstration of a life of compassion and generosity more than it is announcing what we believe about everything. It's far more than, hey, post this on your Facebook wall. If you're not ashamed of Jesus, let's lift him up today. Ah, it is not a matter of announcement. Christianity and following Jesus is far more, lifting him up is far more a function of demonstration than it is of announcement. <clears throat> and I want to talk to you about that by talking about Jesus. Now, now 20 seconds, because uh, I want to affirm something that should be obvious, but in case it's not, I'm going to make it real obvious. I affirm the divinity of Jesus. Duh. Pastor Errol, Heritage, the ACC. As a matter of fact, all Orthodox Christianity since the beginning has affirmed the full divinity, that the final and full way to see God is found in Jesus Christ, that Jesus is fully divine. And I affirm that. As a matter of fact, I don't just affirm that. I take that really seriously. As a matter of fact, I take it so seriously that on my table out there is a 10-part series going through the implications of the divinity of Christ, okay? It's called the nature of Christ. And if you're interested in that, it's out there. I affirm the divinity of Christ, and I think that's really important. But Orthodox Christianity from the beginning has also affirmed that Jesus was fully human. And I don't think that one gets enough playtime. And here's the problem with seeing Jesus as only God. 
If we see Jesus as only a God, then it becomes very easy to rationalize not living how he taught us to live and not demonstrating how he taught us to live. Rather, we default back to announcing his divinity with no connection with demonstration how we live. Let me give you an example. Let's say someone does you wrong and you try to hurt them in return. And I say, hang on, hang on. Jesus taught us to treat our enemies better than that. It's really easy at that point to roll our eyes and go, yeah, but he, that was easy for him. He was God. Okay, but he was also fully human. And so although I affirm the divinity of Jesus, this message is entirely about his humanity and how he fully revealed who God was in his humanity. Now, in Jesus's humanity, he was a rabbi. How do I know he was a rabbi? Because they called him rabbi. <laughs> I know, right? Now, the rabbi was a special title they didn't give to anybody. As a matter of fact, in the whole Bible, there's only three people called rabbi. Jesus, Paul, Gamaliel, that's it. That doesn't mean they were the only rabbis. It just means that's the only ones in the scripture that are called rabbi. You never see Rabbi Peter, Rabbi James, Rabbi John. You do see Rabbi Jesus. And that was like the highest honor in all of Israel. It was the highest honor to be called rabbi. Why? Because it meant the populace trusted you to be serious with the scripture and apply it well for them. Remember, 97% of people in Israel in the first century could not read. That means if you're in the 3% that could read and you're entrusted with scripture, you could do anything you wanted. If you weren't honest, can you imagine a manipulative person being given that kind? You can't tell if what I'm reading is accurate. You can't, you can't read, but I could do this. So to be called rabbi, so if Jesus shows up at synagogues and rural communities, the first thing they did was, oh, a rabbi's here. Get the scroll, hand him the scripture. Rabbi, tell us what this is saying. Like this was like, an amazing, amazing honor that every boy in Israel would have longed for. And Jesus had this title. And rabbis came up with something called yokes. Yokes were summary statements of how they wanted their followers to live. Demonstrations of life, not simple announcements of what we believe. For a rabbi, a yoke was not proclaiming what we believe. It was unashamedly proclaiming what we believe by how we live. It was that. And so a rabbi's yoke was a, a you'll, you'll see this word in the Bible a lot, but in, in the New Testament, like a rabbi's yoke was a summary statement of how he wanted his disciples to live, how he saw the world, how he saw God, and how he applied scripture. So Jesus is a rabbi has a yoke, a fundamental summary statement of what he bound and what he loosed. Binding was to forbid, loosing was to allow. It was a summary statement of how he wanted his followers to live. Now, I'm assuming we're in a room and in an online area with fully devoted followers of Jesus, correct? That doesn't mean that our faith should be announced only with what we believe, but rather demonstrated to our world by how we are living. Every Hebrew boy wanted to be a rabbi, but at the end of the day, only the best of 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 the best. It's sort of like this. How many boys in Bundaberg want to play rugby league? All of them. 
How many of them will ever actually play for the Brisbane Broncos or the Townsville Cowboys, right? None of, none of them. A very small percentage of boys make it to that level. Who makes it to that level? Whoever is the best of 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 the... At some point, almost every boy is told, I'm sorry, you don't have what it takes to play at the next level. You're going to have to go earn a living somewhere else. But the best of the best of the best of the best of the best make it to the NRL level. And then evidently, the real best of the best of the best make it to something called state of origin. Okay? Right? Queensland. Right. So, so that's how it worked. Right? It's, that's why, that's why, by the way, every 45-year-old man in Bundaberg has a back-in-the-day story, right? Right? This is how it goes. I was awesome back in the day. Then I hurt my knee. If it wasn't for my knee, I'd have made it. Maybe, but the more likely explanation is you just weren't good enough, right? Because almost no one is actually good enough. That's what it was like to be a rabbi, right? Now, with that in mind, I want to show you a script, couple scriptures, and then I want to talk through this. Next, first slide. This is Matthew chapter four. This is Jesus calling his first four disciples. Um, and it's weird, actually. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. Now, if you're a note taker, that's really important. They were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. Let's stop. Can we just admit together that Jesus' sales pitch, quite frankly, needs a little bit of work, right? It's actually not very compelling. It's two words long, follow me, and then he uses a weird metaphor that makes no sense. But then what ends up happening is evidently it made sense to them because it really, really worked. At once, they left their nets and followed him. What? Grown men quitting their job to follow a guy whose sales pitch had no detail. Where are we going? What are we doing? When are we coming back? Why is this important? Nothing at all. Follow me. And they're quitting their jobs to follow him. That doesn't make any sense. Then you're thinking, well, maybe they were just two guys down on their luck. Maybe, except for Jesus has a remarkable amount of success with this frankly very average sales pitch. Next slide, watch what happens. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Like, what was Zebedee thinking? His whole workforce quit with no notice. Grown men, four for four, leaving everything on a guy who, frankly, his sales pitch needs a little bit more detail. Then he goes five for five. Check this out. This is a guy named Matthew who was originally called Levi. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. Levi got up and followed him. Four fishermen and a tax collector have quit their jobs on two words, which has to make us ask, what do those two words mean to them? Like if you're married, how does that conversation go? Hey, sweetie, how was your day today? It's pretty good. What'd you do? I quit my job. What? You quit your job? Yeah, I quit my job. Why? Hello. This guy came by, told me to follow him. I thought it was a good idea. Where are you going? Didn't say. When are you coming back? Didn't say that either. He just said, follow me, and I thought I'm in, right? <clears throat> that doesn't make any sense. Grown men leaving their wives, their fathers, their children, their jobs, their communities, their houses, and their boats 
to follow a guy who just said, follow me? Look, it's one thing to leave your wife. Maybe you didn't like her that much, but when you leave your boat, you are serious. That is, that is serious stuff. What's going on here? When I learned this, it changed my life. I'd like to share it with you and hopefully it'll change you and the way we see things and hopefully help us restore the beauty of the word Christian. See, every boy wanted to be a rabbi, but most weren't good enough. I'm gonna take three minutes and my goal is to do this at three minutes and tell you what it took to be a rabbi, okay? And just understand unbelievable the requirements. First of all, here's, how, here's what it took to become a rabbi. First, you had to memorize Leviticus by the age of six, okay? That eliminates most of us, okay? So Levit- you had to memorize the entire book of Leviticus by the age of six. If you memorize the entire book of Leviticus by the age of six, next slide, it qualified you for the first school. The first school was called the Bet Safar. Bet Safar literally means the school of the book. Um, Bet Safar was elementary school. It lasted from six to 12. Uh, in order to get out of the Bet Safar, you had to memorize the entire Bible um, by the age of 12. Uh, let me define the Bible at that day. It was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Still pretty daunting, okay? So you had to memorize the entire Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy in order to qualify to take an exam to graduate from the Bet Safar, which leads to this question. If to take the exam, you had to memorize the whole book, what could they possibly be testing you on? Your Torah exam at 12 years old was based on your ability to ask questions about scripture, not solve all the problems. The greatness of rabbis was not known for their ability to answer all the questions. It was known for their ability to ask the right questions in order to keep a conversation about God going. Think about your Bible. When Jesus was 12 years old, he was wowing the teachers of the law with his questions, not his answers. Now, if you wowed the teachers of the law with your questions, you graduated to the next school. The next school was called the Bet Talmud. It was 18 years long in five stages. For the sake of time and relevance, we'll call those stages stage one, two, three, four, five. And the idea was, is if you graduated from stage one, you got to go to stage two. Okay, if you graduate from stage one, you get to go to stage two. Yes, you, every, this is great. Then two to three, three to four, four to five. The Bet Talmud lasted from 12 to 30. So if you ever wondered why Jesus disappeared from 12 to 30, and then at 30 years old, he reappears and everybody's calling him rabbi, that is why. Now, I know, I know, it's pretty cool, right? So, so what you would do is at any point, if you, uh, if you failed, you were just told, I'm sorry, you're disqualified from ministry, go back and earn a living at your family trade. But the best of 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 the best kept going to stage five. Stage five was called, next slide, Samika. Now, Samika is the Hebrew word for authority. And I want to teach you this word with some go Marones gusto, okay? So I want you to repeat this back to me with like go Marones, all right? With that kind of gusto, because it's a really important word. And it sounds like this, Samika. All right, ready? Go. Samika. That's very good. Let's, let's raise our energy from half the room back, right? A little bit, right? So let's try this. It just sounds like this. Samika. Ready? Go. Samika. Right? Now, if we're going to sound Jewish, we've got to add a little thing, right? And that little thing we got to add is, all right? So every, I want everybody to practice that. It just sounds like this. All right. Ready? Go. Oh, that's really, really good. All right. There's a little bit of a wave here of phlegm. So just like, so so just a little bit more, a little bit more together. Ready? One, two, three, go. 
All right, now let's put those two things together. The word is samika. All right, ready? Let's try. Ready? Go. Samika. Right now, the word samika is the word authority. So there were two types of rabbis. There were rabbis without authority, and then there were rabbis with authority. Now, a rabbi, most 99% of all rabbis were rabbis without authority. But the best of the best of the best, about once every two or three generations, a rabbi would come along so special, they would endue him with a title, a rabbi with authority. Here is, a, or with Samika, all right? So now, here's the difference. A rabbi without authority was a rabbi, but he had to teach the yoke of the rabbi that taught him. So the rabbi taught him for 18 years and taught him a yoke, and then that new rabbi would then teach the yoke to the next generation. And so this yoke gets passed on from generation to generation. But if you were a rabbi with authority, it meant you could make up your own yoke. Think about your Bible. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for my yoke is easy and my burden. The key to the word is my. Jesus is claiming to have his own yoke or his own way of seeing the world, his own way of seeing God, his own way of applying scripture, his own way of life that's supposed to be expressed by demonstration, not simple announcement. This is a rabbi's yoke. Now, here's how they determined who had authority and who didn't. When you graduated from rabbi school, they baptized you, right? Because they baptized you anytime you change social status, right? Think about your Bible. When Jesus was 30 years old, he went out to the desert to be baptized by, yeah, okay. And then at your baptism, you had to have two verbal witnesses to your authority in order to be considered a rabbi with authority. It only happened about once every two or three generations. Think about your scripture. Jesus is 30 years old. He goes out to the desert to be baptized. John says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Witness one, John baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes up out of the water as a normal, regular rabbi until a second voice speaks. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And there was thunder and lightning and birds and rainbows. It's almost like the father was saying, if no one else is gonna speak up, I will. And Jesus comes up out of the water, not just as a rabbi, but a rabbi with Samika. You missed your cue. Not just as a rabbi, but a rabbi with Samika. which means he can make up his own yoke. And Jesus spent the rest of his life wrecking everybody else's yoke. <laughs> Think about your Bible. You do not teach as the other rabbis teach, but you teach as one with, a th yeah, that doesn't mean he was yelling. It meant he was saying something new. Like we've never heard this before and this sounds easier this sounds more loving, more compassionate. Anything. Have, you, have you ever wondered, you ever wondered why Jesus' first sermon was so well attended? He had to climb a mountain to get away from the people. Like that's look, I've been preaching for years, and you're a right nice looking group of people. But I hardly have to climb a mountain to get away from you. Jesus' first sermon ever in public was so well attended, he's like, I need some space. Like, are you serious? Why? Well, hang on. If you're the new rabbi with Samika. That means, and rumor has it, that your yoke is easier than anyone's ever heard before, that your way of life is the easiest way that anyone, in a less burdensome way, people would have come from forever away to hear the yoke of this rabbi. Now, the first thing the new rabbi would do is he would go get disciples. 
because he had to teach people his way of living so that it could get passed down. Now think about it. Where would you go get disciples? You'd go to the Bet Talmud, and what would you find? You'd find pre-vetted 12-year-olds, people who'd memorized the whole Bible, people who were disciplined and passionate and had integrity and had wowed the teachers of the law with their ability to have discussions around these things. And you would go bet to the bet tell mid and you did not have to ask, were they smart? Were they dependable? Were they disciplined? Were they passionate? All that was taken care of. The only thing the rabbi had to ask is, do I believe they can do greater things than me? And if the rabbi believed they could do greater things than him, he would ordain them into his rabbi school with two words. What would those two words be? You guessed it. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Every Hebrew boy longed to hear the words of a rabbi say, follow me. But most of them only ever heard, I'm sorry, you don't have what it takes to be in ministry. Go back and earn a living at your family trade. But this new rabbi, he doesn't go to the Bet Talmud to find disciples. Where does he go? He goes to a lake. And who does he find? Fishermen. Hang on. If you're a fisherman, what does that mean? It means you've been disqualified. And Jesus stands on the banks and said, Simon, Andrew, follow me. And they're jumping out of boats for the opportunity. Why? They had longed their whole life to be entrusted by a rabbi with those two words. In this story, Jesus's yoke qualifies disqualified people. That is the yoke of our rabbi. And aren't you glad? Somebody would have disqualified me, for sure. Somebody would have disqualified you. This is why any attempt on the internet to disqualify people in the name of Jesus may have missed the whole point. Oh, Christianity disqualified. May have, oh, wait a minute, hang on. First four disciples, what was their job? Fisherman, fifth disciple, what was his job? Tax collector, hold on. Where did Jesus find him? At the lake, hold on. If you're the tax collector at the lake, who have you been taxing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're going to find out right now if you four have what it takes to follow me. Can, can you forgive the guy that's been robbing from you for years and let's go change the world? That is the yoke of our rabbi. One of the most fair critiques of Christianity I ever, I've ever heard in my life was from my friend. He said the reason he couldn't become a Christian is because if the whole world converted to Christianity, the world would not be better. And, and if any system of thought that if the whole world thought like that, if the world's not better, there's a problem with your thought. I, he's right. Absolutely. And I could tell you the Christianity he was exposed to, the world would not be better. But I would tell you, if we get back to the yoke of Jesus Christ, the way he saw the world, the way he applied scripture, and the way he saw God, I would say the world would definitely be a better place. Qualifying disqualified people, asking people who've been wronged to forgive the person who wronged them for the greater good of changing the world, that is the yoke of our rabbi. I would say getting back to that would make the world a better place. Now, once a rabbi had his disciples, the first thing they would do, this is literal, walking training. Now, this was obviously metaphorical as well, live like he lived. Christianity is a function of demonstration, not announcement. It doesn't matter if you forward the poorly done meme about post this on your wall if you're not ashamed of Jesus. Okay, but Christianity is more a matter of when an outsider looks at how you live, they're going, look, 
Look at how that person lives. It's demonstration. So metaphorically, it was live like, remember, think about your Bible. They will know you're my disciple if you walk like I walk. In one sense, that was metaphorical. In another sense, it's quite literal. Jewish history says that you could always tell what disciples belonged to what rabbi by how they walked. They wanted to walk, literally walk exactly like their rabbi, which makes me wonder if there wasn't like a first century rabbi with a limp, you know? So you would learn to walk exactly like your rabbi. And you could always tell who the best student of the day was. The best student of the day got to be the line leader. Just like today, whoever the best student, hey, you get to be the line leader today. You can always tell who that was because the rabbis wore these shoes that threw up dust. So you could always tell who the best student of the day was by the one covered in dust from his waist down. But it wasn't dust you wanted to wipe off. It was dust you wanted to show off. It was an honor to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. So you'd go back to synagogue or temple and you'd be like, hey, check out my dust, right? You'd love it. Like you would just, you, you, you would just love it. Hey, remember, uh, there's this one time. Here's the yoke of our rabbi, ready? Jesus said, if you ever go to a place and they do not accept you, call down fire from heaven and destroy them. No. <laughs> what? You say, if you ever go to a place and they don't accept you, shake the dust off your feet. How can the guy who said, forgive everybody and bless your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you also say, shake the dust off your feet? Unless shaking the dust off your feet in their culture was a blessing. <laughs> it's an honor to be covered in the dust of, of your rabbi. Jesus essentially saying, if you go to a place and they don't accept you, um, still give them the greatest blessing you can possibly give them, even if it's only the dust off your feet. And here's the truth of it, is we'll either be covered in the dust of our rabbi or we'll be covered in the dust of our own issues. We'll be covered in the dust of our mom, the dust of our dad, or my personal favorite, the dust of dust, just what I was always taught, as if that's gonna stand the test of time. Th those things don't change the world for the better. The yoke of our rabbi changes stuff for the better. And, and, and the dust of our rabbi is critical to our cities, our state, our country, in our world. <clears throat> I, I, I love the yoke of our rabbi. And unless you've been given special samika and, 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 and you haven't, can we agree together? All of our authority comes from Christ alone, right? So unless we've been given special samika and we haven't, we have to teach the yoke of our rabbi, which leads me to this question. Have we changed the yoke of Jesus Christ, called it Christianity and wonder why people reject it, Right? <laughs> Maybe we should pray a prayer, something like this. Lord Jesus, may no one ever reject you because of how I presented you. Lord Jesus, um, have I changed your yoke? Um, I have no right. Like the yoke around it, unbelievable. Like how Jesus applied scripture was beyond genius. Like there, there's this one time where it says this lady was caught in the act of adultery. <laughs> In the act, oh, in the act, right? Now, whew, now, now, you guys know your Bible, right? What does the Bible, there is a Bible verse and it's in context. What does it say to do to someone caught in the act of adultery? Stone them. And you can't even play the game Oh, we gotta understand the context of the day. Nope, context of the day was, you got caught in the act of adultery, stone them. So they bring her to Jesus. I wanna make sure we're tracking here. Why do they need Jesus? They need someone with? Yes. They bring her to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we have a Bible verse. <laughs> the Bible clearly says, 
Post this on social media. Make you respond. Oh, goodness. Jesus, we got a Bible verse. It says, Stoner, what's your yoke say? That Jesus is in a conundrum. Did Jesus want to stone the lady? No. Is he supposed to keep the Torah? Yes. So Jesus goes, okay, you're right. There is a Bible verse that says stoner. So my yoke says stoner. There. Oh, but wait a minute. I have Samika, which means I can make up my own yoke. Uh, the, the Torah says stoner, so I say stoner. But my yoke also says you can't throw stones unless you're perfect. Right? There's this rabbi kung fu going, don't mess with me, Bo. Right? Jesus just kneels down, draws something in the dirt. I don't know what he drew. Who cares? Right? Well, I don't know. Right? Like, na, 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 I don't know. Anyway, everybody keeps, gets tired of holding their stones, you know? They walk away. He waits for everybody to go away, and he says, hey, lady, where are your accusers? <laughs> I love that. Like, not what you do. Not, no, no. Hey, just answer the question. Where's your accusers? She looks around. She says, they're not here. He says, great, then neither do I condemn you. <laughs> what? <laughs> you, why? The, well, the Torah says you have to stone someone caught in the act of adultery. The Torah also says you have to have two witnesses to condemn somebody. Jesus couldn't make her sin go away, so he simply made the witnesses go away, which automatically declares a mistrial. <laughs> it's Jesus, genius stuff. Like, I don't, could, which leads, so the yoke of our rabbi could look at someone caught in the act of adultery and say there's no condemnation here. Could your yoke say that? <laughs> or have we changed his yoke and called it Christianity? My yoke couldn't. The church I grew up in, I remember this from when I was a kid. Must have really marked me because I remember it clearly. I was a kid, I don't know how old, seven, eight, nine, something like that. And I remember clearly they brought a lady up and told everybody she committed adultery and where she did it and how many times she did it. And... Um, Evidently, it was so that all might fear the shame of that and avoid that behavior. That's not the yoke of our rabbi. That's the yoke of some jacked up white dude from 1880 with severe daddy issues, right? And then, of course, those people left the church, and then the church went, oh, they rejected Jesus. No, they did not. They rejected the image of Jesus presented to them, and some images of Jesus, frankly, should be rejected, right? Jesus said, I don't condemn you. What's his next line? Now go and sin no more. We flip it and go, you better stop sinning so God won't condemn you. That's not the yoke of our rabbi. The yoke of our rabbi is, I'm gonna be kind to you and may the kindness of God be the thing that motivates you to change your life. That is the yoke of our... See, Jesus called his disciples to something profound. Instead of being right about the one verse, he called us to fulfill scripture by doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. I, like, seriously, if you got caught in adultery, what would you want to be done to you? Well, first, you'd want to be let off the hook, especially in that day where it was death penalty, right? And then you'd probably want to be challenged to change your life. Like, don't keep ruining yourself, right? That's exactly what Jesus does. He fulfills scripture instead of being right about that one verse. I would say if Christianity got back to fulfilling scripture instead of being right about singular verses, the world would be a better place. That's the yoke of our rabbi. Oh man, you know what? It seems like the yoke of our rabbi was active in the Old Testament too. Like there's this passage called Hebrews 11 
Uh, it's called the heroes of the faith, right? You don't, we're not gonna read it, but by faith, Abraham, by faith, Moses, by faith, Samson, by faith, Solomon, right? Right, all, all of these heroes, right? If you go back and read their story, they were all disqualifiable and they all made mistakes with zeros attached to it. By faith, Abraham gave his wife to Pharaoh's harem. If CNN and the internet would have been around back then, what would we be saying about Abraham? If Abraham was available to preach here next Sunday, would you welcome it? Or would you start an online petition to bring up his failure? It's not the yoke of our rabbi. Moses was a premeditated murderer. I looked this way and that, seeing no one. I killed the man and hit him in the sand. Problem was the next day the sand shifted. He's got his legs sticking him out of the sand. God said, you'll do. It's almost like God was always qualifying disqualifiable people. By faith, Samson. Samson was sleeping with prostitutes on his wedding night because he got depressed because his best man stole his wife. By faith, David. By faith, Solomon had a thousand women. A thousand women. Lord, why would you expose yourself to such stress? You imagine dating the entire city of Chinchilla? Right? Sir, you were dating Gainda. My goodness. Imagine... If, if CNN and the internet would have been around back then, what, would Solomon be welcome here? What was, I know. What was, what was God's response to Solomon? Uh, excuse me, sir. Excuse me. Are you the guy that successfully navigated the affections of a thousand women? I am. You've got to be the smartest guy on earth. <laughs> Surely you learned something. You want to write a book on wisdom and how to handle conflict? <laughs> David had 700, 700, woof, woof, seven. And he still went and got the one he wasn't supposed to have. You know, there are Christian denominations in the world today that according to their written bylaws would never let David preach in their pulpit. But they'll open a book David wrote, call it the word of God and fail to see the hypocrisy in that. Come on, there's a better way to present Christianity than announcing our moral superiority and what we believe. It's look, look at how they live. It's the yoke of our rabbi. This is one time, Jesus having a really bad day. That's when you get to know somebody, on their bad day. Jesus' day was quite bad. He, he ended up on a cross. That's a bad day. The guy next to him is having an equally bad day. Like people present like, oh, the, you know, the guys on the left and right, they deserve, that don't mean their day was any worse or better. You, you, if you're on a Roman cross, your day's bad, Right? The guy can't breathe, right? And this is where we find out a lot about Jesus' character. In the greatest stress you could possibly imagine, he was still considering other people greater than himself, even when those other people were tempting him and taunting him, use your power. You got power? Use your power to hurt us. And even in great stress, the God fully revealed in Christ would never use his power to hurt somebody he used his power to humble himself, engage broken stories for the sake of the broken story, even if the broken story killed him. Oh, that's the yoke of our rabbi. This is why any message of Jesus is like, if you don't do something, Jesus is gonna like, right, right? That's not the message of Jesus. Even if there's a 25 foot cross over the top of the building, they've missed the whole point of the cross. Remember the guy next to him, he can't breathe. He's like, please remember me, you know? And what does Jesus say? Well, you better hurry up and say the sinner's prayer they made up in 1830, or they're not going to think you're saved in 2022. What, what, you imagine that conversation? Sinner's prayer, what's that? It's a prayer they make up. I dig it. 
right? Right? Well, what, what's it based on? It's based on Romans 10, 9, and 10, bro. What's Romans? It's a book that hasn't been written yet, man, but you better hurry up. No. He says, please remember me. And Jesus says, that's enough for me. What you find in Jesus and the yoke of Jesus is that anybody willing to move one millimeter towards Jesus, he moves the rest of the way towards them. That. I'm going to tell two more stories, one from the Bible, one from my personal life, and then we'll be done. There's this, uh, there's this really easy line to read over. It's in Matthew. It says, so Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. It's real simple, simple to read over. Took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Well, that, that's, it's not that simple. Today, on a paved road in a motor car, Caesarea Philippi is over an hour from Galilee. That you didn't just walk by Caesarea Philippi. That'd be like walking from here to Harvey Bay or something, okay? You had to intentionally go there. Plus, no Christian would ever go, whatever the worst thing going on in Bundaberg today is, and Jin Jin, and Cliff, and uh, Childers, uh, whatever, and Clifton too, whatever the worst thing going on in these cities are, it's Nickelodeon compared to Caesarea Philippi. Uh, Caesarea Philippi was debauchery, it, the worst place you can imagine. Today, it's not called Caesarea Philippi, it's called Panaya, the city of Pan. I've been there. I took a photo of it. Let me show you this photo. This is a, this is a photo of Caesarea Philippi. Um, the reason that photo is of such high quality is I took it myself. <laughs> Professional photographers everywhere are trying to get strangers' arms in their photos. I nailed it. This was the center of Caesarea Philippi. Jesus takes his disciples on a missions trip here. Now, I don't want to be gross. There are children in the room, so I'm going to speak in a little bit of code, okay? But I want to be accurate, but adults, I need you to hear the code, okay? So Pan was a goat god, and I'm going to tell you that that platform right there, there's a big billboard there that explains it right now. It was called, listen very carefully, the Court of Pan and the Nymphos. Picking it up, okay? Pan received worship through outdoor expressions of fertility rituals, that's pretty good right there. I don't, like, I don't care what you say. All right. So what would happen is, is lower class people would be forced to debase themselves with goats there. And what they were told was, is that if you didn't worship Pan properly, that cave was the entrance and exit to hell. And if you didn't worship Pan properly, Pan would open up the doorway to hell and swallow you into it. So this was going on in the middle of the day in public. Jesus took his youth group there. I'd have been fired for sure. And he has to focus them. He's like, Peter, right here, bro. Right here. Who do you say that I am? Peter shakes it off. He's like, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, that's right. And upon this rock, we'll build a church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. Jesus goes into the worst debauchery possibly imaginable, and he doesn't do a Facebook post proclaiming their doom. He doesn't even bring their sin up. He says, wait a minute, you're acting like that because you're scared of this? And Jesus stands over the gates of hell and says, bring it on. That is the yoke of our rabbi. I used to kickbox. I was very good at it back in the day. <laughs> it's just my knee. And seriously, I won the Southeastern Regional two years in a row. 
I, um, I, I qualified for the U.S. Open. I, I placed high enough in the U.S. Open to be invited to the NASCAR World Championships. It was that level. Now, let me be clear. I'm 46. I have no interest in fighting now. When I fought, it was more like Karate Kid. Like, stop! Point! It was that. Now they take you to the ground and tear your arm off. It's just different. But I was good back then. My mom was quite proud of me, and so she had filmed the U.S. Open fight on one of these Beverly Goldberg... You know, remember the big VHS thing you had to wear on your shoulder, you know? So everybody was coming over to watch the fight, all my friends. This guy in my neighborhood named Kenneth Brown shows up. Kenneth Brown, freak of nature. I'm six foot two, 86 kilos as I stand before you today, which means if you sleep in and drink Coke, you too can one day have a body like this. Um, he was six to 95 kilos in like the eighth grade. When we were in fourth grade, he was shaving, right? It never occurred to me he failed four times. We, we were just the same grade. I thought we were the same age. He was huge. He shows up and he says, Shay Ward, I think I can whoop you. <laughs> I looked at him, I think you're right. He said, no, I want to fight. I said, I'm not fighting you, twice my size. He said, I bought boxing gloves to prove I could beat you. I said, oh, you mean put our hands in a mitt and you can't grab me and take me to the ground? You mean box? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, we can do that. So we go outside. You can picture this, all the friends, you know, fight, 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 fight. You can picture this. I got in the ring with Kenneth Brown. I beat him to death. I was fast. He was slow. I was skilled. He was not. I couldn't hurt him. He was huge. I was just in and out, pop, 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 like frustrating him. He decided... I'm going to try to end this with one punch. And he threw a right cross, a huge haymaker. The problem was the speed it came. It was like, <gasps> like I actually had time to think, I'll move, right? He, 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 he finishes his punch and he leaves himself in like this position, yeah? And I thought, I'll end this now. And never before nor since have I hit a human being this hard. Perfect shot. Not that, uh-uh. Big muscles leading small muscles. Everything compact, right on the base of his chin. Bam! I just started, I just stood over him, like, waiting for him to fall. <laughs> in retrospect, I should have kept hitting him. <laughs> but I never hit anybody that hard in my life. I just stood over him like this, caught his balance, looked up at me, and now he was mad. Oh, no. His face turned red. And he said, boy, is that all you got? And it was. How <laughs> I many you know you hit somebody with your best shot and they're still coming at you, you lose? I forfeited, handed the gloves over. He won the fight. You know, the Apostle Paul said that um, the yoke of our rabbi was put on public display at the cross. Oh, pray for everybody. Bless those who despitefully use you. Blessed are the merciful. Forgive everybody for the sun goes down. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Give your tunic. Oh, this is your yoke. Huh. I wonder if that can survive stress. Can you act like that under great stress? How about a beating? How about a scourging? How about 39 lashes? How about mocking and spitting? How about we put nails in your hands and put you 18 inches off the ground where people can continually mock you, spit, scourge you while you're up there helpless? And they beat him 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 and they kept saying, use your power to get us. Use your power to get us. Use your power to get us. Use your power. And he, he wouldn't all the way. Beat him, beat him, beat him, beat him, beat him. And he kept loving and forgiving and loving and forgiving and loving and forgiving and loving and forgiving. That is the yoke of our rabbi. So Jesus died. You can't do more to a guy than kill him. 
He died. And what happened after he died? Well, no one knows. Except for Peter wrote in one of his letters later that Jesus told him when he died, he went to hell and preached to the dead. Interesting. Like I've preached in Biloela. I ain't never preaching no hell, <laughs> right? Makes you wonder all kinds of questions. Like, I wonder how his altar call went. I don't know. What would your message be? It says, when he rose from the dead, tombs everywhere empty. Don't. Anyway, so here's how, here's how I picture it in my head, right? Um, that Jesus descends into hell, and he looks Satan right in the eye and said, boy, is that all you got? Was that your best shot? You thought you could destroy my yoke by killing me? Ah, no way. I'm stuck here for three days. I'm going to preach the whole time. And when I get out, I'm going to cook breakfast on the beach for the very person who denied me in my time of need. And I'm not even going to bring it up. I'm just going to ask him, if you still love me after all this, let's go change the world. That is the yoke of our rabbi. And I would say if the world converted to that in demonstration, not just announcement, that would lift the name up and the world would be a better place. Let's pray together. Let's cancel the white noise of our week. And I want you to pray a prayer. Holy Spirit, would you speak to my heart about any place I've changed your yoke? Any place I've changed the yoke of Jesus with no right. Please forgive me. Let's pray a very serious prayer here underneath your breath, if only if you mean it. And there's no pressure if you don't. Just sit quiet. Lord Jesus, may no one ever reject you because of how I presented you. May no one ever reject you for how I presented you. Third prayer. Lord Jesus, would you speak to my heart about anybody I need to cook breakfast on the beach for? Is there anyone I've treated poorly because they wronged me? Would you empower me to demonstrate your yoke? Would you look this way? Thanks so much for me to be a part of your morning. I hope Jesus got bigger, the cross worked better, the resurrection is central, and scriptures got bigger, not smaller. I bless you to know that you serve a God that believes in you more than you believe in him. I bless you to know that he's entrusted you in humility with his yoke for Bundaberg, Queensland, Australia, and ultimately the world. I bless you to know that his way of seeing the world, his way of seeing God, and his way of applying scripture, his yoke, would make the world a better place. I hope you removed a bit. I hope you cried a little. I hope you laughed a bit. And I hope we were challenged to change. But more than anything, more than anything at all, may each and every one of you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Grace and peace, everybody.